You're listening to the Revision Path Podcast, a weekly showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. Through in-depth interviews, you'll learn about their work, their goals, and what inspires them as creative individuals. Here's your host, Maurice Cherry. Welcome to the Revision Path Podcast. I'm Maurice Cherry, and before we get to this week's interview, I want to thank our sponsors. First up, there's MailChimp, the premier email marketing solution for entrepreneurs and small businesses. The great thing about MailChimp, besides how easy they make creating and sending campaigns, is that they also give you tons of great advice on how to make your emails better. When it comes to email, MailChimp's got your back. Sign up today for a free account at MailChimp.com. This episode is also sponsored by Fiona Tay. Fiona Tay is a software engineer on the core web team at Airbnb, where she works on scaling the web infrastructure. She believes in diversity in tech and has previously spoken at Grace Hopper on organizing CS clubs at the college level. She has also volunteered with Women Who Code, Girls Who Code, and Hackbright. Follow her on Twitter at at Miss Fiona Tay, that's M-S-F-I-O-N-A-T-A-Y, or on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Tay.Fiona. Now, this is the final week for our 50th interview contest, the last week. Leave us a comment on iTunes or Stitcher Radio. Send us your iTunes or Stitcher Radio name, and you'll be automatically entered to win a $50 Amazon.com gift card. For more details, head to revisionpath.com and click the orange banner at the top of the page. Don't forget to send us your iTunes or Stitcher Radio name so we can verify your entry. So, like I said, next week is our 50th episode, and we want to hear from you. What have you learned from the podcast? Do you like the people that we featured? Do you have any comments for us? Send us an email or a voice message, and I'll feature it on next week's show. I'll put a link in the show notes with more information. Now, this week, I talked with Rokashi, who is an independent game developer in Toronto, Ontario. Here we go. All right, so tell us who you are and what you do. My name is Rokashi. I'm a game maker in Toronto, Canada. I've been making games for about two, three years now. My most, I guess, what people would know me for is I'm Fine, which is an interactive narrative revolving around a young man who is going through depression and friendship and sexual frustrations, etc., and just trying to go through his ordinary life and just things just keep you know just going wrong i mean it's a weird sort of game where it branches out in terms of the decisions you make and Mm -hmm. it's something i worked really hard on and i'm still working on it for the second chapter but yeah that's what i've been working on how did you first get started in game development When I used to do some freelance writing for a small video game writing website, I honestly don't remember where I went, but I was told to cover this very small event. So I went talking to people, etc. And again, I don't remember who talked to me, but they were like, oh, you like games? I'm like, oh, of course I like games. Like, I like everything, like whatever. And they're like, have you ever tried making a game of your own. And I was like, oh shit. And never really, really thought about that. And <laughs> I think it was about a couple months afterwards, I did my very first game jam for a global game jam with a friend of mine. And ever since then, it was, it was all downhill. I mean, I, I just love, you know, like designing levels, you know, creating characters, etc. It's really fun. And I feel like I found 
my place, even though mm-hmm. I went to school for journalism for four years and spent thousands of dollars. And <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I like, I don't write, like I do write, but not, I don't freelance as much as I probably should. However, I do have, uh, you know, my games that I'm working on. So I'm very thankful that that unknown person approached me and asked me that one simple question. <laughs> well, video game journalism is still a pretty hot kind of area right now. Uh, there's this book I remember reading, I uh, forget who it's by, but it's called Up, Up, Down, Down, Left, Right, W-R-I-T-E. And it's about kind of video game journal- journalism and breaking into to doing it, like with game reviews and things like that. And I feel that, I mean, I would consider myself a gamer, but I think just with the current trend of, of video game journalism, there certainly aren't enough people of color doing the reviewing, just like there's probably not enough people yeah. of color making the games. But certainly on the reviewer side, there's not a lot. Like I can think there's Evan Narcisse, I think Guy Kroll was at one point in time. So there's an opportunity there if you know you want to sort of merge the two in some way. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I keep tabs on a lot of the popular, I guess, journalism websites. And yeah, there does seem to be a absence of, you know, black writers. You kind of see it sort of improving a little bit, but not mm-hmm. to the point where it's very noticeable. Yeah, I'm sure there's there's a few websites where there are people that there are black people that do video game reviews and things i can think of uh console kings i think is one. Oh god there's another one the name is escaping like me gamer which is like yeah there's yeah there's hip-hop gamer there's a few others but but yeah i know what you mean just overall like we're, if we're talking about sort of mainstream game media yeah. like a destructoid or a one-up or something like or kotaku or something like that what programs or languages do you use when you're making games? When I'm making my games, I'm not a very strong programmer. So I only know a little bit of like basic like JavaScript, etc. Uh, a little bit of HTML, CSS. Mm-hmm. So I don't do much of the hardcore coding when I do my games. However, when I'm making my narrative games, it's a lot easier because I use the Twine engine. And that just allows me to, you know, just like write down stories and just, you know, like hyperlink it. So it's a lot easier to build a story and expand on it. Mm -hmm. Sort of sounds like a wiki in a way. Not really. Not really. I don't think so. (laughs) (laughs) Unless there's a, I don't know, there's a different way that maybe it sort of does work in that sense, but not that I've experienced. But I I think it's interesting, though, to, to note, like you said, like you don't really have to have that. That strong like programming skill yeah, exactly. to create games. That's something that that uh, Cat Small, who I interviewed a few months ago, kind of also mentioned that as well. That now the the level of entry into game development is is drastically dropping. Yeah. and I think that's that's a really great thing. So it allows like more people to you know create what they want, like build their own like like fantasies, ideas, etc. Even for me, like I'm not even a strong like artist, but there are so many programs out there that make it things so simple. Like I can draw basic things, like like basic pixel art. I can animate it, and I could pop it into my game. It's so easy, honestly. When I ask people, like, would you ever make a game, and they're like, oh no, that's too hard. I'm like, no, shut up. You have no excuse. Like honestly, you have no excuse. If I can do it, then anyone can do it. 
Now, you shared with me before we did this interview the game that you mentioned earlier called I'm Fine. And on the website, it's described as an experience where everything goes wrong. What inspired you to create that game? (laughs) I felt like when I was creating I'm Fine, it was just honestly something I just had to do. If you haven't, well, I guess full disclosure, it's actually everything that happened in the game is actually real life. I just changed a lot of the the names, etc. But, you know, when I was creating it, I was being completely transparent to the people who were, I guess, the characters represented in the game. Mm -hmm. And as I went along, they were like, okay, I, you know, like, I know you're going through stuff. I'll support you, whatever. And everything changed when I actually released it. Like, they started, like, attacking me, like, calling me names. I'm like, I, this was the first thing I told you. This is why I was showing you my progress, etc. Now, that's why, you know, I was saying how this is, like, releasing I'm Fine was just something I had to do. It was, it was a way to make people understand the mindset of someone who goes through depression or has a very hard time expressing themselves and, you know, just wants to share what's going on, but Mm -hmm. their friends can't necessarily understand that mindset. So there's all this uh, confusion about how humans relate to each other and how they try to, you know, show empathy and it just doesn't always work. Well, I think when you put it that way, you know, it's kind of hard to look at it then as a game, because I think when people think game, they think of something that is usually played for some level of, of enjoyment or or release or escape or something like that. This is kind of a, an interactive experience, if you will, because I think you said you're, you're creating another chapter to it, yeah. so the story continues. I don't know. I feel like if you make something, create something where, you know, someone has to interact with it, it definitely can be called a game. Uh, There's a lot of times where people have, or I've seen other people create Twine-based games where just like another like interactive-based game. And people would be like, oh, this is not a game. Like, like this doesn't have this, doesn't have X, doesn't have Y. Like, how can you call this a game? But, you know, like at the same time, people put so much hard work into these stories, these experiences, and I feel like they're incredibly credible for being having the title of being called a game. Mm-hmm. I've always been a fan of the visual novel style of games, like... Uh like a Professor Layton or a Phoenix Wright. I actually just played, just finished playing the Professor Layton versus Phoenix Wright game on 3DS, which was, it was really good. It was really good. Let's talk a little bit about the gaming scene in Toronto. What's that like? Oh, man. (laughs) It's incredible here. I'm super thankful that being in Toronto would be able to, I'd be able to, you know, talk to so many people from a lot of very famous independent developers because a lot of them actually live in Toronto. So like Drinkbox Studios, Cappy, Christine Love. Oh my God, there's like so many people here. But being able to talk to these developers and like learn new things, like try different things in your games, etc. It's very, I guess it's very humbling in a sense, mm-hmm. I guess, because everyone here pretty much knows each other and we all help 
in any way we can. Like, we're all friendly, very accepting. Can't say that there's no drama, but let's just sweep that under the rug for a little bit. But for the most part, we all try to help each other out when we need it. And we're, uh, from what I've seen, we're always there for each other. Sounds like it's a pretty tight-knit community, then. It is, I feel. Could okay. be better in a lot of a lot of parts, but... In what ways? You know, sometimes from me looking on the outside for people who who want to join the community, like sometimes I feel like they're a little bit brushed aside. Mm-hmm. But I mean, my personality is if I see someone sitting alone and I guess the event's main purpose is to, you know, socialize or something like that, you know, I'll just go say hi, introduce myself. Even though I'm like, I could be a super shy person, but... I know that position fairly well. So, you know, I just try to do my best to, you know, talk to people, teach, give them a little twine one-on-one, make them make their own games, etc. Tell them to mm-hmm. send it to me. I'll tell them what I think, etc. But, you know, like, if everyone's friendly, then there shouldn't be any problems, honestly. What are some ways that you think game development needs to improve? I feel like... A lot of times, there's not enough people who can give you feedback on your games. I know there's a lot of people who are struggling with, you know, like they're making something and they don't really have anyone to talk to in terms of, you know, like how something should be implemented, like certain design aspects. But I feel like there should be a lot, like, Maybe not online, but it's a lot easier when you talk to someone like face to face, you know, sit beside them with your computer and you just go over through like all the basic things in a game to, you know, discuss designs and see what works and what doesn't. Mm -hmm. In Toronto, we have that. Well, I guess we have that very easily because every there's a small community that I'm included in where every other Monday's games with friends at uh, a little, little community game place in uh, Toronto named uh, Bento Miso. And people could bring in their games every other Monday, show it to people. They'll tell you what they think, etc. And, you know, everyone's just like there for each other. It makes designing things so much easier. Is the scene very diverse? It's incredibly diverse. Although there's not many black people, I guess I can't really say that it's too... Yeah, I guess the only thing I could say is that there's not a lot of black people in the Toronto video game community. Mm -hmm. But besides that, it's pretty diverse that's the one thing i do want to change i've been hunting a lot of other black people who saying how you know they're interested in making games i'm like oh 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 oh, no place you can go i know a place you can go and you know just like (laughs) introducing them to different things but it's been fairly slow but i'm still on the lookout for people in the greater toronto area dip their toe into the world of uh game making well, you know, you have to take baby steps with stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, definitely. So. <laughs> now, there's an old article by Jason Ellis that's called The First 11 Black Video Game Stars. I don't know if you've, if you've heard of this before. They got a lot of conversation going about 
racial diversity being reflected in gaming? And I'll ask this question sort of independent of what we just talked about, but what is your opinion of diversity in the gaming industry? Oh, you know, like a lot of times, especially when I decide to play any sort of a AAA sort of game, it's always based on straight, white, giant, muscular man. And, you know, like, I'm kind of getting sick and tired of that. I'd like to see a lot of more, you know, prominent black characters, Asian characters, women, like women, mm-hmm. like, <laughs> like they exist too. And I feel like a lot of people just, you know, like forget that or just don't even care. And, you know, like seeing things like, well, I don't want to have targets on my back, but when, when Ubisoft was talking about, oh, how they were like, it was pretty much, it essentially said they were too lazy to animate women to have them as a playable character in their next oh, an, an assassin's yeah, creed. Yeah, and I was just like, "That's <laughs> that's the <laughs> that's the shittiest thing you could say to your fan base." Honestly, <laughs> that's, that's no excuse. And then they come out and they they're releasing like two games this year. I'm like, "Are you kidding me?" Like you have, you, uh, anyways. But I feel like diversity and like you know being able to relate to the character you're playing is very important, or else. You don't feel like you're being represented properly. Right. There are some games where I felt like I could relate. I can say I sort of Mass Effect. Like, I'm, I'm not a huge Mass Effect fan, but I'm very into the whole you know, being able to create my own character mm-hmm. in-game. I guess like you'd, you could say the same thing. Sort for, of customize your Yeah, avatar. customizable. Like, same thing for like Skyrim, etc., but I really like being able to like create my own character and, you know, see that character, you know, do certain things. And like, I would have, I'd be the judgment of uh, their decisions, you know, like what they do in game, etc. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it makes me feel like, you know, I'm not there just watching this happen to yeah. someone else. Like, I feel like, you know, I'm included. I'm, you know, I'm making these decisions too. I feel like well, I, I like I think that's that's good. You know that you can have that option of of uh, kind of creating your avatar that looks like you. But I think there's also kind of something to be said. You know, kind of what you said earlier, where the title is created and the the protagonist is just a person of color. It's yeah. not something that the user has to really make that effort to do. Like the the developers have made that effort from the onset to say this is what the character is going to look like, or this is who the character is going to be. Yeah. And I feel like a lot... Well, I know I've been seeing a lot of change in the indie games where they're using a lot of uh, minorities as characters, but i really like to see that change in AAA development because it's, mm-hmm. getting, it's getting a bit... <laughs> it's tiring. No, I understand what you mean. I remember when Final Fantasy VII first came out, and... I mean, I'm a big Final Fantasy fan. I'm a big role-playing game fan. I had just come off, you know, playing Final Fantasy 3 slash 6 on the Super Nintendo. I just got a PlayStation. I was very excited to play. And the character of Barrett just completely soured me on the entire oh, yeah. game. You know, like, seriously, <laughs> like, this is who... And I guess you know if you're thinking of Japanese developers, like, this is what Japanese developers think of, of black people. But, like, just that whole caricature, this kind of, like you know, Mr. T-ish yeah. type, you know, gun-armed fellow. Like, you know, and I'm a kid. I, I mean, this was 97, so I was probably like, geez, I don't know, maybe like 
16 or 17 and just thinking like, this is ridiculous. Like, I, I can't believe this is, <laughs> this passes for what black representation is in video games. Yeah. Right? I remember seeing him for the first time too. And I was just like, is, is that how you guys see, see us? Is, is, yeah. is this what I have to worry about if I go to Japan? Is this like, why, why does he look like that? Like, no. Yeah, like I, I feel like now, like outside of you know those customizable avatar games, outside of sports games, which you know you'll definitely see people of color. I mean, they'll be on the they'll be on the cover yeah. of the box. You know, outside of those, you really don't see a whole lot of of people of color reflected. I'm thinking maybe like Michael Jackson and Moonwalker, or uh, yeah, Grand Theft Auto San Andreas with CJ. Beyond Good and Evil, although Jade's ethnic representation is always up for debate, I think she's brown, not black, but whatever. I still think it's important to see that. There's a video that's on on YouTube for this channel called uh, PBS Game Show. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that. Uh, Sounds familiar. So, So PBS Game Show is a weekly YouTube show hosted by Jamin Warren, and he talks about a different topic that has to do with video games every week. And I think one of the weeks was our games racist. And he goes over, you know, black stereotypes and Indian stereotypes, you know, both American and subcontinental. Like how come every time you see native Americans portrayed in video games, it's like some bloodthirsty savage stereotype from 150 years ago with feathers and tomahawks or something. So, you know, there, there still, I think needs to be a lot of work kind of done around all of that but what what are some ways that you know i guess we can sort of get a dialogue going to help change that what do you think i feel like a lot of the major industries just need to you know reach out out they need to do a lot more research that's for sure they need to you know reach out to their fans of like well any minority that's being represented in the game and be like you know is this okay like does would this person you know have this sort of like attitude but most of the time it's just like i feel like they just make like the most basic assumptions and they just go on with it because you know like stereotypes will just like fuel everything and then people will, yeah. they just don't know what's like right from wrong and then they just go on with it and then they release it and then it just looks like the most racist shit ever and it's just like who said this was okay like who did you talk yeah. to did you do your research like why mm-hmm. and then you know people get frustrated to the point where you know they have to like apologize and i feel like in the industry of like games you should be able to represent everyone equally in a certain mindset Mm -hmm. when you have to like apologize for like being you know racist or you know offending anybody you're just saying that you're lazy you don't care right so I mean, or they're saying they're sorry that they got caught because usually those because usually those apologies are if apologies. It's not we're sorry we offended you. It's we're sorry if you were offended. Yeah, you know, which that's I mean, there's a a big difference in that. Yeah, I I keep thinking of that like extremely super racist NPC in Dave's X Human Revolution. For people that are listening, you have to look it up. It's on YouTube. It's it's disgusting. It's this woman. Her name is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I think I you know. Do you know what I'm talking about? I didn't. You know, all the way into it, but I think I watched a very short video of it. <laughs> I think I watched like 
about a minute and I just closed it. So uh-huh. <laughs> I don't know it's the whole bad. story. It's mean, bad. I mean, she's like, you know, I should be waiting right here for you. Like, it's really, it's bad. It's so bad that, you know, you, you have to think of the fact that this, is, of course, is a product of, of the environment. Yeah. If you Like you're saying, if there's not enough people of color in the gaming industry on the development end. So what you end up having are these companies that are probably going to be mostly white guys. And if they don't have anyone that's sort of checking them yeah. on any of this stuff, <laughs> definitely, you know, a lot of this ends up passing through QA, through development, just completely unchecked because no one, I don't know if no one wants to speak up about it yeah. or anything. I mean, I think we even see now, whenever there's discussion in the gaming industry about any type of diversity, it is a firestorm yeah. of comments and threats and I mean, just look at Anita Sarkeesian. Oh my God! Uh, you know? The whole ordeal, like, just I can't. Yeah. But it's like the fact that the industry, of course, wants to be taken seriously yes. and not just be this kind of entertainment thing. But then, whenever anyone lobbies even the slightest level of criticism, and this is not—I mean, of course, there's been criticism from like a a legislative congressional level where people are saying that video games need to be banned because they think they cause school shootings and things of that nature and, and unruly violence in children. But the fact that you don't even want anyone to analyze the work that you're doing in terms of its sort of cultural relevancy. Yeah. Like you just want it to be taken at face value with no one, you know, analyzing it. Well, I would say no one analyzing it unless it's good. You only want to hear the good stuff. Yeah. You don't want to hear anyone saying anything like, oh, this is bad because of X, Y, Z. It's reductive. It makes you kind of think, where does gaming go if this is still kind of the pervasive attitude that is at play? Yeah, and I feel it's unfortunate because there are a lot of people I see that are like so supportive to move gaming forward. But when you see... <laughs> well, when you mentioned Deus Ex, that just like reminded me and then... You see, like how people are, how black people were treated in Bioshock Infinite, and then yeah, just like we're just taking two steps forward and like seven steps back. Where you can't expect gaming to move forward with when you can't even figure out <laughs> like people. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's, yeah. You can't. There needs to be a way to people to understand that you can't just have people just like sending out these games and like no one's you know analyzing them being like this is not okay we should probably talk to an expert or someone who's in these kind of communities and ask for their input or their opinion but since nobody wants to you know take that step we're just left with the the mess that (laughs) that nobody cleans up either i guess Right. Well, and I think it's important to mention that, of course, you know, we're talking about gaming. There's there's sort of different levels of it, too. You've got your your console gaming, you've got PC gaming, you've got mobile gaming, which I think mobile gaming is probably where more people of color might be flocking to, just in terms of, like, the notion of creating an app and putting yeah. that out there. I mean, there are companies like, I think, Heatwave Interactive is one. There's one that's out of Austin that did this sort of Facebook game that was sort of like a hip-hop version of Farmville, in a way. I can't recall what the name of it was. Uh, I think the the name of the actual game was Empire Avenue. 
I believe that's what it was called. Empire. I think that's what it was called. And then there's a there's a company out of Baton Rouge, a gaming company called Energized, N-E-R-J-Y-Z-E-D, that created this black football game. I think it was like 2008, 2009. It was like the black college football experience or something like that. But like there's a handful of companies out there that are doing that but it's you know you look at that as opposed to these huge titles like you say from you know these huge triple a titles coming from these yeah. grand companies and it's like you know you don't even it's not even a blip on the radar yeah, not even close yeah that's and it's not like there's a dearth of of material to choose from either i mean that's why i feel like a lot of times when you know if you're a small independent developer you have to you know make friends, tell other people, like spread the word about your game and why it's important, like what's what's special about it. When you create something that's, you know, that, you know, like relates to your community, your your people, etc. Like you could share that with people and, you know, that could get onto at least other people's radars. I mean, it's kind of inevitable when like if if, like Activision is like, oh, new Call of Duty. I mean, like that's going to be that's the whole whole blanket over the fire sort of deal. But as long as you have a group of people that you could share with, I mean, you never know, like games can happen. Like they could be on very prominent radars for people who were looking for something like that, and you'd be surprised to see how many people are like, "Oh, these, this game is very interesting." I mean, you never hear about any of any smaller titles that deal with very important, well, I guess, anything like important topics or anything like that. Because I feel like, I guess, how can I say that? I just feel like there is always going to be some kind of uh, niche audience for your game, I guess mm-hmm. I could say. And some people don't know where to look. So you have to just keep talking to people, spreading word out about your game, and hopefully you'll find those people to connect to and they can spread the word to their friends, etc. If you weren't developing games, what do you think you would be doing? <laughs> I've had numerous dreams that I was a hobo on the street doing absolutely nothing. (laughs) (laughs) I would probably be, well, actually kind of right now, I I work retail like part-time. It's like the worst place Mm -hmm. in the world right now. I gave myself until December to quit because I hate those people so much. But I would probably see myself working at a very small local newspaper it'd be sort of like a batman sort of deal like i wouldn't tell anyone that i make games or anything like that i would just go in do my work go home and by day journalist by night game maker sort of deal (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah i would i could definitely see myself as you know just a small town newspaper reporter but with games and escape and like I have like a really huge imagination, so if I can't do one thing, I have to be doing multiple things. Like I don't think I'd be able to do just journalism. Like I have to find the balance between, you know, creating game, freelancing, or else I just honestly I have no idea what I would be doing. What advice would you give to someone starting out in this field? Okay, number one is don't give up because 
if you give up, you're just proving to yourself that people who don't want independent game makers to, you know, succeed are winning. Like, you can do it. If you, you could, you know, scribble, if you go and you make, like, stickmen, like, you can't just give up. You'd be surprised how much talent people have. Like, it doesn't even have to be specific to creating digital games. It could be physical games, too. Like, a lot of people are making board games or like card games too. It's not specific to just video games. And yeah. I feel like anyone who pulls in their spare time or if someone knows how to play a piano or if someone's very active, I mean, you could use all those specific tasks and still have a part in any sort of video game. Video games could use music. Video games could use interaction and art, music, like everything, like, a lot of things that people do in their everyday lives can be very useful in creation of a video game. So it just doesn't have to be programming. Exactly. And that's why <laughs> so with my limited programming ability, I had to find you know another way to create video games. And I found my place with uh, mm-hmm. you know, like Twine. So right now I'm comfortable. I'm slowly learning a little bit of programming. But yeah, like you don't have to expect like a giant workload trying to get the industry. You just have to, you know, just relax, like meet people and just do your best. Like no one expects your first game to be the number one game on Steam or anything like that. Yeah. I mean, if you, you have to start somewhere. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like that's what I did. Like when I released my game and that was like my first actual like release. I was just I was like freaking out. I'm like I don't know, like how am I gonna do this? And uh, oh. and you did it. Yeah, I, I did it. <laughs> I was I was like had like super high anxiety the entire time, but I still managed to do it. If it wasn't for people that reached out to me, like gave me advice, if it wasn't for the game hosting site itch.io. I don't know where my game would be right now, to be honest. I honestly have, like, no idea. So I'm, like, I'm really thankful for all these small communities who are, like, looking out for people who are creating these games. And I feel like people need to harness that energy to just get out there and do stuff. Yeah. How do you get your creativity back if you're feeling uninspired? I always, during development, I mm-hmm. always take, whenever I need a break, I just take one. I don't rush myself, especially games that deal with very strong emotions. Like, I can't, mm-hmm. when <laughs> writing, like, for I'm Fine is probably the hardest thing I do right now. So when I'm writing and I feel like I can't right now, then I can't. I'll come back to it later on when I'm not feeling super crazy and mm-hmm. you know just take it from there you just got to take baby steps you can't rush through certain things or else they won't be i feel like the overall product won't be you know as clear your message won't be sent across properly to people who play your game so i feel like anyone who's struggling with their game just take it easy ask for advice if need be and, you know, just go from there. Unless, I mean, if you're, if you're on a deadline, I could understand why people would want to be 
like get it over with or they'll be a little bit frustrated but at the same time you have to you have to think about your mental health as well you don't want mm-hmm. to be working on the game that causes you more stress like over and over and over but like the bare roots is you just gotta just take it easy <laughs> mm-hmm. are you satisfied creatively i feel like i could do a lot more with my creativity i feel like with i'm fine that was just just the beginning and mm-hmm. with the content that i have planned for uh chapter two i feel like <laughs> i've learned a lot from other developers and people who have reached out to me so i mean i can only grow from here like I, i'm pretty excited for it's weird saying excited for a game that's everything but but mm-hmm. <laughs> it's i feel like i've learned enough to be able to accomplish more of my goals and those goals are pretty much being able to make certain things work on my own in my game without asking for help being able to reach out to people asking for help in terms of because it will take me forever to actually illustrate all the things in my game so that's why i reached out to uh local artists in toronto who liked my work and are willing to you know help me out and i feel like that's exactly what a community needs you need you need people who want to help each other out who want to you know see each other grow creatively i feel like it's not about making money it's about just living life with your friends helping each other out I don't know, I feel like it's very calming for me to just do what I can mm-hmm. and go from there. Like, I try not to, like, stress myself out. Because if I stress myself out, then everything just turns into a huge mess, and I, I don't want that. What's the most important thing that you've learned from your work? Like, the most important thing from, like, making games? Yeah, yeah, for making games. I don't know, I feel like just talking to people is the most important thing growing up i was very i was a very lonely kid like i didn't really talk to a lot of people or i would get bullied a lot so not really wasn't really a thing for me to talk to other people but being fortunate enough to live in a place like toronto it's just amazing and i felt (laughs) i just wanted to have a place to belong in a sense and Mm -hmm meeting these people seeing how friendly they were it's just like damn like why didn't i do this before and it's made my life a lot easier so when certain things happen in my life i have people to talk to and it doesn't even have to be video game related it's just like certain people just are just there for you regardless and i feel like in a community of people who are making games and, you know, they have the same interests as you. That just makes things so much better. What are you excited about at the moment? Is there anything in particular? Well, I do have... Oh, oh man. I'm excited. I guess I could say that I'm almost done the script for Chapter 2 of I'm Fine. And okay. that's just, like, huge weight off my shoulders. <laughs> mm-hmm. So right now, I'm just, like, storyboarding and, you know, trying to get everything ready. Because I just need to get that out but at the same time i'm kind of 
redoing the entire game, like the whole like layout, design, etc. So I'm kind of excited of like relaunching. I'm fine, I guess. I don't see. I thought you were gonna say Super Smash Brothers oh, on 3DS because oh. <laughs> I saw I saw on Twitter you were unlocking characters. I'm like I'm unlocked. I just unlocked. What did I just beat? Dark Pit. No, yeah, Dark oh, Pit. Oh well, I <laughs> um, that's where I'm at now. And I'm about, I was trying to fight Rob and losing badly. So oh, I I got the game on Thursday, and. Uh, the only character I cared about was like Jigglypuff, so I'm like, I'm gonna get Jigglypuff, and I. Re- so, you, so you have to unlock everyone to get because Jigglypuff's yeah, Jigglypuff like at is the, the end, last right? One you have to unlock after ten matches. So <laughs> why Jigglypuff? Jigglypuff is cute, and she's also really powerful with her rest move because you could. Oh man, that rest move! Oh, it's so good. Like you could pretty much kill characters at like fifty percent. Well, sometimes 50%. But as someone who's not very good at, like, offense, mm-hmm. I find that when people are like, coming, like, after me, I'm just like, okay, they have pretty high, like, percentages. All I have to do is when they get close enough is rest, and they just fly off the screen, and I just get myself, like, free points. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm, not <good. laughs> I'm not very good at, like, dealing damage like, with, mm-hmm. like, physical moves, but I just let people come to me. <laughs> it makes things so much easier. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, like, I've been playing Smash pretty much all day and all night. Like, my D- as we speak, my DS is charging because I played until the battery, like, died on me. And I just plan to play some more tonight. But, oh, man, there, there are so many games coming out that I'm excited for. Like What games? Little Big Planet 3. I'm a huge fan of Little Big Planet. I got platinum in the first two games. So I have a platinum in Little Big Planet 1 and 2. And that took forever. <laughs> like, I like games that allow you to express creativity and create your own content. Mm-hmm. So when Little Big Planet was, had their, I think their logo, uh, their whole thing was play, create, share. I was like, oh, that's really interesting. Like, you could play the game. And you could like create your own levels and like share with your friends. I was like, oh, that's cool. And let's see how, like, what kind of tools they give you to create your own levels. And they gave you a whole bunch of shit. I was like, oh my god, this is great. <laughs> <laughs> this is so great. And uh, you know, like I just kept. It's so easy. You just like cut and paste and just like you know put like little widgets onto things to make it work. And it was like a level build. Yeah, kind of it was like. Well, the fact that it was, like, it made it so easy for people to make their own levels, it was still, like, ridiculously cute, and I just couldn't handle it. I just could, I just kept going. And then people started, like, liking my levels. I'm like, yeah, this is great. And then well, this one time I logged in, and I got, the like, this, like, platinum trophy popped up, and I was just like, yeah, this is great. <laughs> and then when they announced uh, Little Big Planet 3, I'm just like, oh, my God, I don't care about, like... I don't care about Battlefield. I don't care about Call of Duty. Well, I never really cared about Call of Duty. But I was just like, oh, this is going to be the greatest game ever. And <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm totally waiting for it. <laughs> Where do you see yourself in the next five years or so? I sort of see myself still doing uh, small games. However, for a couple of ideas I have on the back burner, I was hoping to get like government funding for these projects. So, is that pretty easy to do in um, Canada? 
there are a lot. I don't know. I don't know if that was like a grossly stereotypical question no, no, to no, ask no. that, but <laughs> I can't. I can't imagine in the U.S. that happening. Like people have to go to Kickstarter. Oh yeah, some people do. Are there over here? There are a lot of uh, places that I guess if you qualify for that, they'll give you a small, small grant of money to. It's more of a you're creating jobs in Canada and. Canadian government is all about that. So if you're like, oh, I'm a independent game maker and I have this idea for a game and I want government funding so I could hire, you know, other Canadians who are talented in these fields to work for me. And then the government's just like, oh, you're creating jobs in Canada. Yeah, sure. We'll give you tons of money. I'm not saying like that's, that's how easy it is, but I'm saying like if you're creating jobs, then they're all for that. So, I mean, I'd see myself giving that more of a a serious try so I could get my, my games out there. I'm not too sure about publishing, though. But as long as I get my larger ideas out, you know, of the back of my head, I'm pretty content with just making small games and just selling it. Not anything, you know, huge, like starting a giant company or anything like that. Just basic things. I haven't really thought that far into the future. <laughs> mm-hmm. You just graduated like last year, right? Uh, year before. Year before? Yeah. Okay. That was kind of like a, an eye-opener because I was like, oh, shit, I'm done school. What do I do now? But, you know, I've I've managed to keep myself busy. Unfortunate retail to have some pocket money, but I'm still designing planning certain things and seeing where I go from there. All right. Well, just to kind of wrap things up, where can our audience find you online? I'm super approachable on Twitter, just at Rokashi. That's probably the best place to, you know, talk to me. I'm a social media fiend. So if people say hi, I will bond and say hi back, uh, make conversation. You know, if I mean, if people are looking to ask me for advice on certain things, I'm more than happy to send links or refer them to certain people. But yeah, on Twitter is pretty much the best place. All right. Sounds good. Rokashi again, thank you so much for taking time out of your day uh, for speaking with us. I was, it's always good for me to, to talk and kind of geek out a little bit about games and things. So I was glad we were able to talk about that and about diversity and just about learning more about how people can get into game development and that it's not this kind of, uh, huge hurdle as i think a lot of people might think it is just in terms of programming and things like that so thank you again so much i appreciate it no problem and that's it for this week big thanks to rokashi and thanks to you for listening thanks also to our sponsors mailchimp and fiona tay i know i say this every week but your financial support is really what helps keep revision path going and helps us produce these quality interviews Don't forget about our 50th interview contest. Again, details are on revisionpath.com. Just click the orange banner at the top of the page there. Oh, and send in those comments and voice messages so I can feature them in our 50th episode. You can either send us a message through our contact page or record an audio file and email the file to mail at revisionpath.com. Our recordmp3.org is a really good site where you can record directly in your browser. It'll save as an mp3. Send that on to us. Revision Path is a 318 media project. 
If you like what we're doing with these podcasts and the website, then we desperately need your help. Go to revisionpath.com forward slash donate to help out. Leave a tip in our tip jar, sponsor an upcoming episode, or donate at the $5 fist bump level to show your ongoing support. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.